Well, good morning. It is great to be here with you. Uh, we are in the middle of the Fired Up series, and, and the Fired Up series is when uh, a number of us on staff get to uh, come and share a little bit about the things that we're fired up about right now. And uh, my name is Steve McGinnis, and I'm uh, the missions and family pastor, and uh, uh, a lot of my duties is uh, uh, wrapped up in missions, and quite frankly, I'm just going to be honest with you, I got the best job on staff. Uh, it is absolutely the truth. I, I love what I do. Um, I get to work with this church here. And, and some of the things that are going on. I get to work with some other churches around the country and the church planting that's going on domestically. And, and I get to spend a lot of time internationally as well, working with church plants there as well. And, and uh, it is just uh, uh, something that I am absolutely loving. And uh, to be real honest with you, I don't think they even miss me a lot when I'm gone. I've been traveling a lot uh, there's a lot of times we're spending, uh, especially in Haiti right now. You guys have probably heard a lot about this, and we're partnering with a number of different churches and just took a group down to Haiti, and we've been down about 10 times in the last two and a half years, and, and so it's just been a lot of trips and stuff, um, but really cool. So I travel a lot, and so um, I actually have a, a couple of lists I literally can be out the door and on a plane in 10 minutes, okay? I've got a couple of lists that I just have kind of put together, and so because I travel a lot, I've kind of got a list of things to make sure that I get everything that's in the office taken care of, all right? And like I said, they don't even hardly miss me a lot of times when I'm gone, so that's a lot of just getting that covered, and they're good with that. I've got a few things that I... Uh, kind of go through and, and, and just make sure that, it, that things are taken care of at home. Um, my, my kids are, are older, and, and it's getting really easy. I'm, we're in a real sweet spot for uh, what I'm doing and just stage of life right now as well. It's easy to travel, and so really, they don't miss me much at home either. That works out. And then I've got a couple of packing lists, and my wife will tell you, sometimes literally, I, it's on my phone in the notes section, and I literally just go through, and I run down the list, and I've got these things kind of in little, little piles or bags. I've got a little go-bag thing. I just kind of throw it in there, and I just throw in some clothes, and I'm out the door. But more than not, I try to do one thing, and, and I don't do it every time. Sometimes it's as easy as a text, but other times I actually sit down, but I will sit down with my son. Our youngest is, uh, we have 17-year-old son, uh, Thomas, and uh, he's got older sisters and, and, and the like. But, so he's the only guy. And I will sit down with Thomas, and, and a lot of times it's, it's pretty brief now. I started doing this years ago when he was really little, even though it really didn't matter then. But we wanted to start the, the routine. But I just say, look, I'm going to be gone. You need to protect your mother and your sisters. You need to take care of things while I'm gone because I won't be here to do it. And it's something that actually he actually steps into very well. And so when anything needs done, it's kind of like he's on call. And, and it's something that, that he sees as a responsibility, and he does a great job with that. But it's just knowing, you know, I'm not going to be there. So if something breaks, you're the man. And you're going to need to carry the load. 
Why do I say all this? Well, I say that because we're going to look at a passage in Scripture in 2 Timothy. And uh, in essence, that's exactly what Paul is doing when he writes this letter to Timothy. I told you, I, I'm the missions pastor. I'm like, we're going to talk a little bit about Haiti, and we're going to talk about some of the things that are going on in missions, because, say, hey, this is my chance. I'm up here. I can share that. But I want to be careful that you understand, while this applies to some of those things, this also applies to us right here and now. And this is something that we all need to hear. But in, in 2 Timothy, starting in the first chapter, you need to understand that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy Paul and Timothy have a very close relationship. Timothy was not his actual biological son. But he refers to Timothy on several occasions as his son in the faith. He had been there when Timothy was young. When he came to Christ, he had discipled him. He had mentored him. He had traveled with Timothy. had traveled with Paul for years. Paul had sent him out to pastor a church in Ephesus. They had a very close relationship, and Paul, when he writes this letter in 2 Timothy, is sitting in a prison in Rome facing execution. This was the last letter that Paul wrote, the last epistle that that Paul writes. And so what Paul is doing is he's kind of giving his farewell address. He's, He's talking to Timothy, he's writing this letter and saying, look, while I'm going to be gone, since I'm going to be gone, here's the things that you need to know. And he highlights some things. There is a sense of urgency in in what's being written here. And if you open up your Bibles, we're going to jump in in the first chapter of 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to come forward. Just raise up your hands. Love to get one into your hands. Um, But point number one, get fired up. No excuses. Point number one, get fired up. No excuses. Starting in verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. I thank God whom I serve. He starts off, he says, look, this is something that I am thankful for, and I literally thank God for this. I'm lifting up my prayers to God in thanksgiving for you. I thank God whom I serve. Paul's whole life was about serving Jesus Christ. Ever since the day on the road to Damascus that we see in Acts chapter 9, when when Saul was going, he was persecuting the church, and God, Jesus Christ, appeared to him on the road and said, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, he comes to saving faith. He goes away for about three years into the wilderness and kind of gets another master's degree. Oh, he already knew Old Testament. He was a Pharisee. He knew the Bible, but he didn't know Jesus. And he spends that time with Jesus. And then, and then Jesus changes his name to Paul, and he sends him out on this mission, and that God had commissioned him as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, the, the heritage that Paul had, the, the family upon family upon family, many, many generations that they would have been serving God. And now he knows this Jesus. He says he serves him with a clear conscience. When you see that phrase there of, of doing it with a clear conscience, what's he saying? Is he saying he's sinless? He's perfect? No. Paul was still a sinner. 
But he says, there, there, there's nothing that, you can, nothing that you can pin on me. Whatever sin goes on, he had dealt with it. He kept a short sins list. And, and, and the confession... And in the restoration process, that was just a, a momentary thing and that he had nothing to hold against him. He had a clear conscience. He was going hard after what God had called him to do. And he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. He's saying to Timothy, he's saying, look, I am praying for you all the time. You are like at the top of my list of, of my prayer requests. Uh, that when I pray in the morning, when I pray in the evening, throughout the day, you are one that I am praying for, that God would be using you right where you're at in the things that you're doing. Th that's a big deal, isn't it? We, we see this and we see Paul's prayer life here, a little glimpse of that. It's, it is a big deal. It's a big deal and it would be a big deal for Timothy to know that Paul was praying for him. I want to encourage your parents, and as you're talking about with your children, the fact that they hear you and see you and know that you pray for them regularly. Just yesterday, I, I, was, I was sitting, it was like 5.30 in the evening, I was just kind of running through my notes for this message here, and I get a text. And it was a quick little text, kind of out of the blue, and it was Pastor Kent, just said, hey, just praying for you tomorrow with the message and stuff, pray, you know, the gospel goes forth, you do a good job. Thanks. I mean, literally, I was actually looking at the message when he, he didn't know that. But just regularly encouraging. We see Paul doing that. It's a big deal. I remember you, he says, verse 4. With, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I remember your tears. Evidently, there had been a fearful farewell between Paul and Timothy. The close relationship that they had, it actually brought Timothy to tears at one point as they, as they said goodbye, and this may have been when he sent him out to Ephesus to, to pastor that church there. It may have been something else that was going on that he was referring to, but, he, but he's, he's referencing that this close relationship that they had. I, I, I remember those tears, and, and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Later in this book here, in this, in this letter that he writes in chapter 4, he, he asks him again, please come and see me. One more time. I want to see you. And, and he's saying that the, the, the joy that that would bring to see his son in the faith one more time this side of eternity. And every parent in the place, I'm sure, can nod their head and understand the joy that it brings us when we see our kids. Right? It's, just, it's, it's great to see them, especially when you haven't seen them in a while. And that's what Paul is, is talking about here. And he says, verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And he talks here a little bit about his heritage, and he says, this faith that you had... And I'm sure that this faith that you had that your grandmother and that your mother instilled to you. We know in the book of Acts that, that Timothy actually had a Greek father and, the, and then a Jewish mother and grandmother. And, and that they had come to Christ in, in one of Paul's early missionary journeys. And, and the heritage, the foundation that they laid with Timothy. And how they, how they just imparted God's word and laid that good biblical foundation so that he understood who God was. He understood his Bible. He understood the foundations of the faith. 
And he's saying, look, that, the, the foundation has been laid. You have this heritage that you are drawing on. I'm sure that dwells in you as well that was in your family before you. And so he's kind of laying, the, he's greeted him, he's laying this foundation, and now he gets to a, a, to a good purpose statement here. And he says, for this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I remind you to flan into, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, You've got all of this behind you. You've got this, this, this commitment to Jesus Christ and who you are now. Make sure you, you get fired up. Make sure you get fired up. Fan it into flame. Around here, you've probably heard the term we use a lot, white hot. What does it mean to be white hot? Well, you know when you, when you charcoal, or maybe you build a campfire, and after a while that, that flame kind of dies down, you've got those hot embers and hot coals, and you start pulling together all of those hot coals, you put on some more tinder, some more wood on top of that, and then what do you do? You start blowing on that fire. You blow on that fire, and that oxygen feeds that fire, and it heats up, and it flames up. And that's what, that's what Paul's talking about right now. Guys, that's the challenge this morning is get fired up. Fan it into flame. Can you think back of some times in your life when you've been just on fire, white hot for God? Can you, can you remember that? For some of you, I can see it on your face right now, you're right there right now. And you are on fire. God is doing some incredible things, and man, you are right there on the edge, right with God. And then for some others, some of that has kind of just subsided. Challenge this morning is get it fired up. It's time to fan that flame, start rekindle that fire. For Paul here talking to Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you. What gifts was he talking about? Well, he said when, when, when the, it came to the laying on of hands. For Timothy, this was his call to ministry. It, it was to preach. It was to teach God's word. And saying, look, God has gifted you for that. God has gifted in each and every one of us. First uh, uh, Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's very grace. What's that saying? It said each of us have a gift, a spirit-enabled gift, a spiritual gift that God has called. God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. Are you using your gift? Are you fired up? Are you so excited about who Jesus Christ is, about what he did, that you just can't contain it? you got to tell people about it. And you are so active and passionate wherever God has called you in whatever ministry God has called you within the body of Christ. So how come we don't? So, so what trips us up sometimes? Well, I think Paul says that. Verse 7, he says, For God... Gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power 
love, and self-control. He's saying, for God gave us a spirit. God gave us an attitude. God, God has given us, but the attitude, it's not an attitude of fear. It's not an attitude to, to be timid, to be cowardly, to be reserved, and, and, and just kind of sit back on the, on, on the back seats and, 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 and just sit off on the side. That's not what God has called us about. On the contrary, he is calling us to. He's given us a, a spirit and an attitude of power. Ironically, the word there, power, is, is dynamis. We get the, the word dynamite from it. It's this explosive. It's, this, it's the power that comes from the creator of the universe. It's this massive power that God bestows on us to do the work that he's called us to. It's the spirit of power. It's the spirit of love. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's a sacrificial love. God calls us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That's the love that God is calling us to. You want to talk about getting fired up. Get fired up about loving your God, passionately loving your God, and passionately loving the people that he puts across your path. He also says of a power of love and of self-control. Of self-control, uh, it's the uh, pa- controlling your passions, your feelings, your behaviors, your thoughts. Having those things under control, your feelings and thoughts and desires. The fear. So what is it about the fear that so often just gets us tripped up? Well, here's, uh, here's four fears that sidetrack us. You may be able to come up with more. But here are four things that, that I find sometimes get me sidetracked. Number one, it's the fear of failure. The fear of failure. But if I do that, if I step out in this way, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out so well? What if... What if I look like an idiot in doing that? By the way, that's our pride that raises up in us. It's the fear of failure, or maybe it's the, uh, it's the fear of rejection. Man, if I start taking a stand for Christ, and I start actually talking to people and, and, and inviting people to stuff, what if they start making fun of me or if they won't like me? I mean, nobody wants that. You walk in a room and everybody kind of turns the other way, and it's that fear of rejection. Maybe it's the fear of harm. Maybe it's a fear of harm. If, if I do that, what if, what if some harm comes to me? Sometimes as we're planning trips and things like that, this is one of those things that come up where, man, if I go down to this third world country and stuff, what if I get sick? What if I catch something? Honestly, sometimes that happens. We've experienced a lot of it, trust me. We've experienced a lot of that in our family. God's still in control. Fear of harm. What about fear of the unknown? Fear of the unknown. Fear of losing control. i got to be honest, for me, this is the biggest one for me. I like to have my world controlled. 
I like to think I'm in control of what's going on. I'm not, but I like to think it. And you start stepping out. Man, when God calls you to something and all of a sudden you start taking that first step and you have no idea where God's taking this or what God's doing, we lose that control. Maybe what if God calls us to something that we don't even really want? What if God makes me do something I don't want to do? Go somewhere where I don't want to go. It's the fear of the unknown. Well, you know, uh, last month we uh, took 49 high school students and leaders. And we headed down to Haiti. We took a trip. Uh, uh, actually, it was over a, a week and a half time period. You saw the group kind of commissioned before we left as well. And, and uh, um, split them into two groups. We went into a couple of mountain areas in Haiti. Uh, it was just an unbelievable trip. But I'm going to be honest. There was a lot of nervousness in preparation for the, for the trip. There were a lot of our young people. A few had been on previous trip a couple of years ago, and so there was some familiarity. Uh, Pastor Mitch and myself and a couple on staff, and we, we've been down and back, so we, we go a lot as well. So just try to calm people and sure. But, but it's natural. There was some nervousness. I'm going to be honest. There were some nervous mothers as well. You know who you are. Right? course there is but it didn't stop us from going and let me just tell you it was an awesome couple of weeks God showed up in a big way and we saw God do some some just incredible things a lot of which we didn't even plan for here's some highlights from the trip Amen. It was a great trip. 
It was great to see God at work. Let me tell you what, you, you go on things like that, you come back fired up. Not because you went to a different part of the world, not because you saw things you don't normally see around here, but, but, but because we saw God at work. And you're living out your faith. Let me ask you, what, what are you passionate about? What, what, what are you praying for? What are you going after in your life? Chances are that's what you're worshiping. We continue on. Point number two. Point number two. Stand for Christ. No shame. Stand for Christ. No shame. Verse eight. Paul says, therefore. And when we see therefore, we say, what's the therefore, therefore? He says, because of this. Fire, getting fired up, no fear because of power, love, and self-control. Because of all of that now, therefore, because of that, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be intimidated. Don't be timid in your testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be hesitant to share about Jesus Christ and who he is to you and what he's done in you and through you. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Or Paul also says, or me in prison. You know, so many times... uh, Again, this fear that, that creeps in and we're, we're hesitant to speak. And in this case, I'm sure there was a lot of this going on that Paul here, Paul was a, a pretty famous guy and Paul was in jail. Usually when they're in jail facing execution, you're not real quick to start saying, yeah, I'm with him. That's what, he's, that's what Paul was saying. Hey, don't be ashamed of me. I'm here because of the gospel and I'm glad to be here for the gospel. No shame. Take a stand for Christ. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But share in the suffering. Paul's saying, okay, come on, join the team. Come join me in this suffering. Come join me in the persecution. There's a key phrase on the end of that. For for the gospel by the power of God. How do we do that? We do it because we serve the creator of the universe. By the power of God, as God works through us, as God continues to work through us and get us fired up, it makes us really easy to take a stand for him no matter what the cost. That's what Paul's saying. By the power of God, he gives some description of the power of God. Verse 9, he said, who saved us? Who saved us? We see the fact that we can be declared justified before a holy God. He took us in our sinful condition. And he sent his son to cover the payment for my sin. To offer forgiveness. So that I can be free. I can be forgiven. I can have a certainty of an eternity, a future with him in heaven. He saved us, but not only that, he called us to a holy calling. He called us to a holy calling. Here here he's talking now about our our sanctification. The fact that we've been called not just to get saved, but he's got plan and purpose for us. And and that plan and purpose is making us more like Christ. Holy calling, he calls it. 
of, of each day looking more, reflecting Jesus Christ more and more in our life. The holy calling that he has called us to, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us. Not because of our works. Look, there is nothing that we have to brag about. I am who I am today because of Jesus Christ, and it has nothing to do with Steve McGinnis. Before you all get all judgmental and agree on that, you're in the same boat. It's so it's not by us. There's nothing to brag about in that. But what did he say? It's his own purpose and grace. It's because of his plan and purpose, because of his grace that he's given us what we don't deserve, that he's, he's lavished on us the gift of, of eternal life and freedom in Christ, that he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. You know what this is telling me? This plan that God has for my life, this plan that he has for mankind, it started even before the first sin, Genesis chapter 3. Before the ages began, God's had this plan. He's, he's unfolded this plan. He sent his son. He's got a plan for the future as well. That's the powerful creator God whom we serve. And when you understand that, now you understand why it's not a big deal to take a stand with a little persecution in the here and now. We continue. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, it's all coming to fruition here. With the appearing of Christ Jesus, this would have been very fresh in their mind because this Jesus would have just ascended here just a number of years earlier. He's saying that first coming of Christ when he came and as a, as a baby infant in the manger, he grew up and lived the perfect life and he went to the cross to die for not his sin but our sin. That first appearing of Christ is what he's saying. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Who abolished death. He crushed death. Death came into the world in Genesis chapter 3 with the first sin. Not just a physical death, because now our mortal bodies would, would the mortality for the physical. But more than that, the eternal death where we are then separated from a holy God. When he came and died on the cross, he abolished death. He reestablished. You know what? You will not die. Although the body may die. But absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death has been defeated. Amen? There is victory. But not only that, he's given us life. Jesus said he didn't come to, to, to give us this boy. He's given it to, to come to give us abundant life, John 10 says. To give us life and life abundantly. Rich, full life. Let me tell you what. You start taking a name for Christ and being bold for Christ and following as he leads in your life, you will be on the edge. Oh, there'll be a lot of moments that get the old heartbeat going. It is a vibrant, abundant life when you overcome those fears and actually step out with what God's calling in your life. He's given us life, and he's also given us immortality to light through the gospel. We're not going to spend 
We don't have to question where we're going to spend eternity. We can know that we're going to spend eternity with our Savior. For which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher. He's saying, look, this whole story that he just went through, this is what God called me to do. He was appointed a preacher, an apostle. He's saying, look, this has been my job. What God has said is that I need to be going around and telling everybody about this victory that comes through Jesus Christ and the gospel. And he goes on and says, and for this, which is why I suffer as I do. Why was Paul in jail? It wasn't because Paul was a bad guy. Paul was in jail because of his stand for Jesus Christ. Paul was facing persecution because of his stand for Jesus Christ. He says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until the day which is what has been entrusted to me. He says, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe. He knew Jesus. Daniel, Daniel 11 says, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. The people who know their God, who have that, that vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, will display strength and take action will be bold for their faith. He says, I know whom I have believed and that he is able. Ironically, that word able, it's actually the same root word in the Greek as that word power that we get dynamite from. He's saying he is so strong that he is able. No, he is powerful enough to guard that which has been deposited in me until that day. He's going to hold on to that faith that's in me. I am secure, a secure believer in Jesus Christ. It says, until that day. What, what, what day is he talking about there? Well, if you turn over, in my Bible, one page to chapter 4, verse 8. We see that term, that day, mentioned again. It gives a little more description. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It says, uh, verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, hence there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's saying there's going to come a time where we're going to receive the rewards for how we lived out our faith, for the stand that we took for Jesus Christ. Paul is saying... I'm suffering, I'm under persecution, but guys, it's just for a little while because that day is soon coming. It's just around. He's saying, come, join me in my suffering. Come, join the team, because it's just for a while. We're serving the creator of the universe, and that day is soon approaching when we will receive the rewards that's coming. You know, uh, um, one of the things that uh, many have, have gone on the trip, by the way, we've, I was just counting this morning, as best as I can recollect, and I don't have the best memory here, but, but kind of counting up the numbers and teams, we've put about 190 people from Harvest Peoria on the ground in Haiti in the last two and a half years. Um, there are a lot of you have been there, haven't, haven't they? You've seen a lot of these things. Well, the trip that we just went on a couple of weeks ago, um, 
we actually went up into two mountain regions, one into Cap Rouge. Uh, Cap Rouge will actually be uh, hopefully launching a, a church there in the spring of next year. Uh, Antoine, Pastor Antoine's going to the training center in Chicago this fall. We'll be going back, establishing a core group, and I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But uh, some exciting things are going there. And, and then another area, Montelavut, is an area that uh, Pastor Abraham and, and the church there about four years ago planted this church up in the mountains, a different section there of Haiti. Both of which are about um, an hour and a half to two hour truck ride to get up to these sites. And so we had these different teams, and one team went to one area, one, the other team went to the other area at different parts of the week because uh, we had used the same trucks. You can't take a bus up there. You have to either take a truck or uh, they, they ride motorcycles, but it's hard to get 49 people up on motorcycles. So, so trucks. Show a pic here. I've got a couple of examples of us heading out. Okay. So that's how you go up the mountain. Now, before some of you moms start giving me dirty looks, <laughs> the good news is, or bad news is, you never go more than 10 miles an hour. And it is just rocky, and you're just, you literally for two hours get beat up. <laughs> and, and the good news is also, though, that you're so packed in there that, you know, you're not going too far because uh, everybody kind of squeezes in there uh, for that. But I was thinking about this, um, share in the suffering. Well, you know what? Every time we would head out, and, and I've, uh, I've been on these trips many, many times. <laughs> I rode in the cabs for most of those trips here, this trip. <laughs> Kids wanted to be in the back. I, I said, okay, I'll let you do that. But uh, uh, it just beats you up and that. But uh, the good news is, though, Especially after the first day, you sort of got an idea of where you're going and you realize, you start counting it off. Okay, we only got about a half an hour left once you hit this point and you already got this point. It's just for a little while. It's not the most comfortable ride. But one of the cool things that happened, and, and here's a couple of trucks you see there, but we actually would, would ride with uh, a number of the people from Harvest Jock Mel uh, mixed in as well. And... You just cannot believe the worship services that took place on these truck rides up. The joy and the songs, and a lot of it, they were singing a lot of the vertical church band songs, and they were singing it in Creole, and we were singing it in English. And I was thinking about Paul saying, come join me in the suffering. And it's like that. Come, come join. It, it, it may be unpleasant for a little while, but you'd be surprised even how much joy is in the midst of that when you've got a community of believers all headed for the same thing to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So my question is, how about you? How about you? Are you under any, any persecution for having a bold stand for Christ? Or worse, are you surprised when there's persecution? We need to take a stand for Christ. We need to get fired up first. Then we take a stand for Christ. And then number three, protect the truth, no wavering. Protect the truth, no wavering. Got just a couple verses here. Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words 
that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It says, follow the pattern of sound word. He's saying, stay the course. He's saying, continue on with this sound words, the teaching that Paul had been giving to them. Literally, we could say, you can sum it up in one word, doctrine. And the doctrine that has been taught Doctrine is, is, is really, it's, it's what, it's theology, it's, it's, it's what we view, how we view God, what our understanding is. It's those, it's those foundational principles that we live by. He's saying those sound words, you need to stay on the course, don't get off, off track, don't get off the path. Follow the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith. In faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, trusting in, in, in what he was teaching, that it is true, that it is right, that it is profitable, and in love. Love is that, that, that worship of God, that commitment, that lifting high the name of Jesus Christ, and that we love you so much, Lord, that we follow in the teaching that he has for us that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. By the Holy Spirit. There you go. That's a power statement right there. How do we do it? It's because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. As we allow the Holy Spirit to control and to use us, the more that we give up our own control and allow God's Spirit to work in and through us. Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. Guard the deposit. He's saying, stand guard, protect it. That deposit, all that had been taught to them, as Paul was talking to Timothy, all that I'd given you, the truth of God's word, what we now find in Scripture. He's saying, we need to take a stand and guard the truth. We, we would say it this way, it's, it's having a biblical worldview. It's, it's approaching life and all that takes place in life and filtering it through the lens of Scripture. And that what's going on, where do we see it in Scripture? What does God say to do about it? And then we apply what the truth of God's Word into how we live it out in our lives and how we make decisions and how we interact with each other. It's having that biblical worldview. Just a, a, a weekend ago, um, we, we took our, our college uh, ministry, and uh, Pastor Mark and 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 Pastor Breck uh, took the college group, and they, and they went to the Creation Museum, and they had a number of things were going on, but the main main emphasis of that trip was going to the Creation Museum. Why? Well, because foundations are important, and as you understand the first eleven chapters of Genesis. It's monumental how it affects your faith overall, how you view Scripture, how you understand creation, and how you interpret the, God's Word in that shows your hermeneutics, how you interpret all of Scripture. It, it, it's big in having a biblical worldview. And so how do we protect, how do you protect truth in your life? Here's, here's five ways. Five ways to protect truth in your life. Number one, desire it. Kind of seems like a no-brainer, but it's not. Desire it. 
Pray for it. Depend on the Holy Spirit for it. But you got to want it. As a believer in Christ, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. And every day, even though I've known you for many, many years, yet there's still so much more that I can't even begin to to understand about you. And I want to know you more. Number two, know the truth. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate it on it. Know the truth. Desire it, but also just continue to grow in your knowledge of who God is, your knowledge of Scripture. Number three, obey it. Obey it. Do what it says. Actually follow through and apply it to Scripture. I'm amazed when we get to so many of of life issues and stuff where folks will come in and they'll say, well, I mean, I know what the Bible says. Wait for it. But... And sometimes I just, it's hard to not just to say, there's no buts. And yet I, I do it too. Actually following through and, and obeying it. Number four, filter. Filter. Think through the situations of life and think through in such a way as, what does God say about this? What does God's word say about this situation, this relationship, this conversation And start filtering through Scripture what's going on in your life. And then number five, plan. Put together a plan for growth in your life. Guys, we are so excited about what's going to happen here in this next ministry year here at Harvest. There's some big things that are planned, and and, and all of it kind of centers on a, a number of different preaching series that Tim's going to be walking through about life transformation. How do we actually go about transforming the way Scripture calls us to this life of transformation? And, and, and so there's, as always, going to be weekly things that are going on in the series that are going to do that, but also with our impact groups that tie right into that. As well as that, there's, there's going to be study groups that are going on for not only just new believers, but also in different areas and, and, and things that are going on, very specific areas of life and that, where you can come alongside and, and actually learn more about the truth of God's Word and how it applies in these situations. And, and even more than that, how about just a plan for your own personal study? We've got a reading plan that tracks with all of this and all of these four things. They they usually kind of go together anyway, and this year it's going to be very intentional on how they go together, and it's going to be some some just some some fantastic resources of what does it look like to change and grow the way God calls us to. Have a plan. Don't just sit back. You know, it was amazing. Um, I mentioned as we went up into the mountains and, and uh, the, the one area that we went to was, was Cap Rouge. And a number of, of teams have been there before. There's a big clinic that's up there that had just been built. We've done medical clinics there as well. Uh, it's an area of about uh, 18 to 20,000 people spread out over the top of this mountain area. Uh, very sparse. You look around, you see like 12 homes. And then all of a sudden, all these people show up. We thought... We were coming in to do kids' ministry. And when we pulled up in the trucks and we looked around, we didn't see any children. And we got a little concerned. They had invited uh, young people 14 years old through 25 years old. 
Some of it's because they're planning a church there, and that's who they were really wanting to go after. We just hadn't gotten that memo. And so very quickly, Pastor Mitch pulls together the teams. They start kind of shifting on the fly. Uh, we had to do something with a few of our crafts. <laughs> Although it, it all worked out in the end. But I'll tell you what, what was one of the most incredible things for me was Though as they were teaching this Bible story and they were kind of acting out these things that they had planned, again, for little kids, but they, they did a good job of, of, of smartening it up a little bit. But uh, they would have a 10-minute Bible story with a little bit of application at the end. And then they'd ask for, for questions and they would have 30 to 40 minutes of Q&A time. Why? These people were hungry for answers. They're asking questions about predestination. They're asking questions about hell. They're asking questions about, I mean, just some, the depth of the questions was just incredible. And for some, early on, it kind of surprised me. And then you start realizing that they have been inundated with, with such a background of Catholicism mixed with voodoo. And, and, and just so much of warped teaching in so many different ways. And there is such a hunger for truth. They want to know what the Bible says. And, and it was funny because the first time we kept making an answer or two of what's said, and even in our craft time, they were going through the wordless bracelet things, and, and they were laying it out, and they kept saying, where do you find that? Where do you find that? Where in Scripture do you find that? They wanted to see it. They wanted to know it. How about you? Do you have that kind of desire Protecting the truth. Guys, Paul told Timothy and Paul and the Holy Spirit are saying the same thing to us. Number one, get fired up. Get fired up. Fan that flame. Start putting on some oxygen. Start working at it. Let's, let's, get, let's get it back hot again. Take a stand for Christ, no matter what the consequences, and protect the truth. Guard what's, what's been deposited in you. Let's pray.